100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Jason Red of Timber Ninja. This episode is focused on my involvement with Timber Ninja, entrepreneurship, the history of the company being made in the USA, why not all carbon fiber is the same, all the new products that are being released this year, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, I have a story. This is probably one of the wildest stories I've shared on here so far. Coming from Jared Saltz out of Virginia. So Jared wrote in, I killed this buck on public land in the mountains of Virginia. Shot slightly quartering two and ended up only getting one lung. The deer ran 50 yards and fell over. I went and checked him out, took some pictures, and then checked him in. I went back to camp to get my buddies and then back in to get him and he was gone. There was no drag marks in the leaves. I had the spot marked on my map and a big puddle of blood where he originally died. Looked down in the hauler and saw eyes moving. Gave him the night and went back the next morning and found him dead the second time where we saw the eyes. Craziest thing I've ever experienced in the deer woods. Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely concur there. That's uh, such a wild story. And I've heard of some similar things happening, but not where where you go up and take pictures with it and everything and then come back and it'd be gone. That's just, that's super wild. But uh, I appreciate you sharing the story there, Jared. And if anybody wants to see a photo of that buck, beautiful deer, you can head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook to, to go over and check that out. And uh, if you want to share your story, send it in to uh, com through email or just fill in the contact us form over on the website. But uh, with that being said, I'll just jump right into this episode. It's a longer one here, but uh, I think you guys will like it with Jason Red of Timber Ninja. Jason Red, welcome back to the show, man. It's uh, It hasn't been a while since we talked. I feel like we talked just about every day now, but it's been since uh, 2021, November, when uh, last time you were on the show. Oh, wow. No, actually, no, actually, I'm wrong. I'm actually I'm wrong. I put that Spartan Forge live thing that me, you, and Nathan did out as a podcast this past November. So actually, people have heard you uh, only a few months ago. So I just, I lied there. Yeah, yeah. That was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. That was a uh, that was a good good group on. We'll have to do the uh get all of us on again. Uh hopefully in person. That would be that'd be better than trying to do the video calls with multiple people is is difficult to to be able to do. But anyways, welcome welcome back to the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so for anybody that that doesn't know, uh, Jason is one of the founders of Timber Ninja Outdoors, and you may have seen Timber Ninja's stuff in the in the past through me. As far as uh, I was actually, I think the I think how how did we meet? Let's start with that. How did you and I meet? Do you remember? Uh, I think I reached out to you when we right before we launched, or right when we were launching our sticks back in 2020, and because uh, I'd fallen you for a long time because you know you were the only person putting out mountain buck uh content so you know for where we live and how we hunt like it was the only thing that was relative to us you know kind of the same way 
got connected and became friends with Nathan Killen. He was kind of like one of the only dudes that I really saw on Instagram talking about mountain hunting, especially with traditional equipment. So I believe, yeah, we reached, we connected that way. And I said, Hey, we got these new sticks. Do you want to give them a try and tell us what you think? And yeah, it started from there. Yeah. I think I actually got one of the first, uh, one of the first prototypes that you, I mean, you had been testing them for a while, but the first ones that you had sent out to anybody, um, to do my initial like test on them, which was, which was pretty cool to, to be able to think back on. I remember they had the lime green, uh, uh, cordage on it and some different stuff. And like, it was just like kind of the, the first run of those. Yeah. I still have people ask about that lime green cordage too. Do they? I, I've often thought about bringing it back. Cause I, I used to use purple on mine and then I did the lime green, which it kind of helps. Like when you're trying to locate your stuff, if you leave your setup over night, you know, the next morning or, you know, whenever. Yeah, that is, that's always the hardest thing is when you go in and you're looking for your, if you leave it, like sometimes during the rut, especially I'll leave my stuff up overnight and then just come back for it. And I'll be like going through and I'll look at Spartan Forge. I'm like, I have the waypoint here, but everything looks different at night, you know, and I'm not trying to like just throw my flashlight through all the trees, you know, my headlamp and going through it. I'm trying to find it. And I'll be like standing 10 feet away from it and not see them sometimes if they're tucked into a hemlock or whatever, you know? Yeah. Or standing next to it. Um, (laughs) That happened too. But like, you know, you're kind of in a rush to get set up early in the morning and you're like getting frustrated and trying to find your set. And you like, look at me, Oh, there it is. That's where I left it. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, I do that all the time. If you start using some glow and dark rope, that'd be helpful. Yeah, no, de- no, definitely. But uh, I, I'm sure. I wonder what the. Ex- well, you probably know this, but what the expense would be to put like glow in the dark on the ropes? I don't know. I've never seen it. I mean, I've seen it like in guidelines for tents and stuff. Uh, yeah. But I haven't seen it in anything bigger. I want to say I looked into that at one point, um, but I can't remember. It was. I mean, I've looked at so many things over the years <laughs> of doing this. Like, I'm always nerding out, as you know. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I've got to learn that especially in, uh, the last few weeks here of talking more, but like the, um, the one thing, like, like, I guess, yeah, all my paracord that I use for like zippers and like my tent stakes and everything, like I always remove the stuff that it comes with and I tie on the, the glow in the dark. It has like the, um, I don't know if glow in the dark reflective is more, reflective. I think the right, yeah. right term for it, but that has that kind of weaved in. So when I hit it, because I, how many times like your guy outlines on your tent when you're elk hunting or whatever, you come back and you trip over it and then oh, you yeah. end up face planting or, you know, or falling on a tent stake. Like it's just, I, uh, I try to replace all that stuff with, with stuff that's reflective. Yeah, no, that's a good, good thing. Cause I've tripped. I don't know how many times it, it's not even the trip and it's the whole like, knocking your tent down from that side <laughs> when you do trip and you have to put it back up and you're tired or you're cold or you're wet, you know, like all these things. Yeah. 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 It, and, and yeah, so I, I guess, I guess to start here before we kind of dive into this. Um, so this episode's a little bit different than other ones that I've done. And I, I kind of want to hit the, hit it right out of the bat here that, you know, going forward this year, I'll be working a lot closely. Um, lot more closely with timber ninja and uh will be there'll be one sponsoring the podcast but that's that's uh the small part of it more so as as being able to be involved with the company on the product development and helping out on the on the marketing front there so one thing that i've from the outside and jason you can give your input here but timber ninja has been around for 
well, three years now and has been coming out with some extremely innovative products that uh, are built, you know, in the, in the mountains there of North Carolina. And I'll let you get into that story here shortly, but like it, you've been really good with the innovation side, but there's been absolutely zero marketing on that front. (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) It's like not something that you want to do or like to do. And, uh, that was, has definitely been a kind of a gap there. So if you want to talk a little bit about that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, I think people, a lot of times don't understand this is still a part-time job. Uh, you know, I own another company and my other two business partners have day jobs and, you know, our goal has always been to innovate the, the products that we use for mobile hunting. And so that's always been first and foremost, uh, as far as our ethos is innovation, like we'll never sacrifice innovation. And so by doing that, we just put all of our resources into coming out with new products and, uh, you know, reinvesting money back into it. And, and also, I mean, from my own perspective, I didn't want to start this company with a lot of marketing and being known as a marketing company. Uh, you know, we could have easily started with money and became very well known. But from, I guess, my, maybe my own ego, uh, I wanted to build up our brand as organically as possible. And, and and I think we've done a really good job with that. Like people really buy into who we are, what we present and what we create. And, but we've reached this point now. I mean, you know, the one thing I am happy about is like, we haven't, we've spent $500 on sponsored ads in three years. And, you know, we like just Instagram, you know, we have like over 6,000 followers and with the, you know, and you, and not only just the followers, when you look at the impression rate of when you post stuff, it, it means like you're really building a core group of people that really believe in what you're doing. You didn't have to pay to get them there. You know, they, they got there because of what you're actually, you're actually doing what you say you're going to do. And, and I've always said, the one thing you can do, you can always pay for marketing. You can never pay for innovation. You can't pay for the thousands of miles or hours spent in the woods, you know, understanding what it's really needed, uh, you know, as a hunter to be more efficient and, you know, and to make really awesome stuff that's functional. Um, that's, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to buy that because you can't make up that time, but you can always put money in marketing. So, uh, you know, we had kind of been talking about this prior to ATA and also, you know, we've been talking to a media company to help us out, which we're, you know, we're trying to move forward with that this year as well. But we had, you know, our second year at ATA, we had so many people come by that are in the industry. Some of them own companies are, you know, not competitors, but, you know, kind of in the same market. And so many people continuously come by and tell us, you guys have the most, the most badass shit here and nobody knows who you are. And I was like, yeah, hey, we get it. You know, we suck at marketing. Uh, you know, we've n- we never had pro staff per se. We, you know, we haven't done that really. I mean, we got a few buddies that use it, but, but you know, it, it was just, we already knew we were kind of working that way, but you know, this year we're going, you know, all in with marketing and getting the name out there and, and we're not stopping innovation, which we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, you know, we're not slowing down in that realm at all. I mean, we're, we're the foot's on the pedal on that, man. Uh, I mean, our new saddles, which we'll talk about, I'm sure that kind of shows our next step and in the innovations from that perspective, but there's so much more, um, to be done from an innovations perspective. So yeah, but, yeah. 
No, I and and yeah, I think you hit the the nail on the head there, and I think that's a a really good way to build a foundational company that like where people are are you know they want to be a part of it, like they believe in your products, they see that, they understand that it's not just this big marketing ploy, but there becomes a point in the in the company where to grow and to be able to make it sustainable and as is you got to put it out there and that's kind of where the company's at now it's like okay building innovative products that are are phenomenal and able to be you know compete with any of the ones out there and you know and a lot of it in a in a on a higher scale and a higher level but you, you need to be able to put that out in front of people to be able to see what these benefits are versus just you know some stuff on Instagram and, and going to the ATA show. So that's, you know, kind of a, a focal point and kind of where I came in and just to hit the elephant in the room before we go any further, it's like, so I've obviously worked uh, with tethered for the last three years or so and love those guys have nothing bad to say, but I, I won't be, won't be continuing uh, that relationship as I go on and, and working here with Timber Ninja. And, and the reason for me doing that is, believe me, it's not a, it's not a, uh, an annual income thing by any means. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and Jason knows that when we started our, our discussions and, and the reason for me wanting to do this more than anything is like, I like being a part of companies that like, I feel like I can have an impact. I by no means feel like I'm someone that's extremely smart and smarter than anybody on building products or doing anything. But I've, if you've looked at my track record, anybody that's been following me for a while, you know, I've, I've stuck with working with the same companies from the beginning products that I bought. And then eventually kind of went and worked with those companies. Um, you know, one of the ones that was a shift a few years ago was going from working with a big company like Onyx to Spartan Forge. And my whole, that, that was the same reasons apply to what I'm doing here with Timber Ninja is I want to be a part of it. And, you know, being someone that spends as much time in the woods as I do and that you guys do is like putting our brains together and helping innovate on products. Like that's one of the things that one of my goals of like giving back to the the hunting community other than just, you know, information on the podcast is being a part of the products that are being built and having, you know, maybe some of my ideas used, some of them not, or just being a field tester to be able to prove that they're, that they're going to work. And, and over at, you know, over at tethered, like I just, I, I didn't have that sort of relationship and it's not from the standpoint of anything that those guys did wrong. They just have that. They already have that team. They have people that are doing that. And I want to be, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a bigger part of a company. Um, and something that I use so much, which is, you know, gear that gets you elevated to hunt, you know, whitetails and, and especially in the big woods and the mountains. And you and I just connected so well over the last, three or four years that we've known each other is just like, we have similar hunting styles. And, uh, I think the, the gear that you've made up to this point just really fits in alignment with that. And I think it's just not going to stop it at that point. And that's where I want to want to be a part of it. So I wanted to get that out there, you know, kind of first and foremost on, on the, the reasonings behind it. And it's, it's bigger than, Oh, just here's a sponsorship for the year. You know, that's, definitely not it. And there was no, there was no bad feelings or any reason for me to, to leave working with tethered other than I want to be a part of a company that, that I can help with building products and, and be a part of it. And 
that's kind of what, and I see the potential in, in Timber Ninja of, of, uh, you know, I just see the big potential there. Yeah. I mean, from my, our perspective is, you know, I, like I said, we've been buddies, you know, we talk regularly since, you know, I guess we first got connected because we have, I mean, a lot of similar hunting styles, but, you know, I've watched you like grow your business and your brand and, you know, you're really good at that. And the one thing I look at from my seat is that's not, that's something I have zero, that's something I have zero interest in. Like, I like to look at pretty marketing, but like, I have no interest in creating it. And I've watched what you've done and, you know, and even besides like work stuff, you know, you've, I've watched you mature in your business world go from, you know, we've had conversations about you leaving your day job and coming over and like starting your Airbnb, like all this stuff, you know, like I just, that's you know, I look at you, if you want to have a dynamic team, you got to have the right people, but it's not just about their skill set. They have to like fit into your circle uh, because it's, it's a relationship beyond business. And like any other relationship, it's going to be rough times. And like, you got to have people that you're kind of in line with and everybody kind of knows their gig and does a really good job at doing that. And, you know, I'm, I'm stoked, you know, like, I think I really started trying to like semi pitch you on this probably like in October or November when you were heading down to Illinois. Yeah, that was beginning of October is when you <laughs> yeah. first kind of yeah. called me on uh, on on kind of the pitch that kind of got it in my on my head there. And I've always just like like I said, I've always wanted you guys to win, and just like I've just you know got to know you, and now getting to know you know Tyler and Jordan, um, you know the other key components to Timber Ninja that you know make this whole thing happen is like getting to know all you guys has been like been awesome here recently and uh i'm I'm just i'm pumped to you know it's just the very starting points of that but i'm excited to to go forward and, and you're right like you and i have we've had so many conversations over the phone that had nothing to do with you know hunting or or uh you know timber ninja or east meets west it was just like life and like just like trying to better ourselves and business and all of these things and i think we really connected on those levels as well and and i i really have tried to surround myself with people that like that we have not just similar mindsets here in like an echo chamber, but like people that are going to that make me want to be better and push. And I've seen like how you've, you know, grown multiple businesses and I learned from you. You gave me a lot of advice on launching my Airbnb when, when I went to do that there, uh, I guess the beginning of last year and everything. And I just felt like there's a lot of alignment on, on that front. And I kind of want to ask you, you know, first here, like what, how you kind of got into like the entrepreneurial side of it and what made you kind of go that route, kind of your background? Um, well, I mean, I grew up really poor and I thought like the only thing I, I was happy just to graduate high school, to be honest with you. Uh, that was kind of a big achievement in my family. And uh, I had this goal of just like getting a normal job and staying with it for 20 years and retiring. But when I got into endurance sports, I got connected, you know, through cycling with a bunch of, I mean, it's, it's no secret, like cyclists, there's a lot of rich dudes that ride bicycles and a lot of them are, you know, either doctors, lawyers, or they're just all professionals. So I, I really got scooped into a, a group of really awesome guys uh, that mentored me when I was racing bikes. And one of them who's still my mentor today, you know, he's like, dude, cause I don't, I, I thought that was all I could achieve in life was just being normal. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But like, he just put it in my head. He's like, if you apply the same energy and focus into your, your career as you do cycling, he's like the, 
the sky's the limit for you. And I, so I, I just went with that. And, and one thing I also noticed about these guys, especially the ones that were entrepreneurs or in sales, they were always out riding their bikes when other people were working. And so I, I knew that I wanted to have freedom. That was the main thing. Um, so I, you know, I essentially worked through sales. You know, I was a, 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 I've been in sales for 18 years. One of the businesses I own is a sales and uh, customer service, a rep business. And, um, but I worked for other companies at a higher level, level at a corporate level. And, um, but I one day decided I was tired of working for other people. And I, I just started traveling on my own and going on trips for a week. And I, I was in between jobs and went on a trip to Nicaragua to go surfing for 28 days. And, and, uh, I was going to work for another company and I knew right then that I wanted to work for myself. Uh, Cause I was like, I want to do this all the time, you know, if I can, um, so I ended up going to work for another company. But when I, when I accepted that job, I told them I was not going to retire there. And they were like, that's fine. I was like, I ultimately want to do something for myself. And so, you know, long story short, I got into, um, I ended up buying a rep business in my industry, which I still own. And it's been a struggle. Being an entrepreneur is not easy. Trust me. It's a lot easier to know you get a check every, every month and, and then that you don't have to worry about, you know, if other people getting paid, all that stuff. Like, even though I'm, you know, my company does really well. I still always like have a panic attack when I'm doing payroll for some reason. I think it's just because I care about them that much. Uh, but also once I started down that rabbit hole, uh, I was like, well, I just want to do more of this. And so my ex at the time, we started Airbnb business, which became really successful. And and then we started Timber Ninja through that time. And then she and I split up. I mean, honestly, a lot to do with all the stress load that we put on ourselves, but trying to be you know, entrepreneurs because she also ran a dental practice her own a dental practice. And, uh, I, I will say like, I, I love it. You know, there's the freedom side of it's great, but sometimes you don't get the freedom that you think, you know, cause especially when you're launching something new grassroots, like with Timber Ninja, you know, I poured everything, my heart and soul into this, uh, from the beginning and, and, you know, it's been received very well, but it's still a small business and it's growing and now it's growing at a way rapid rate. Um, and then that's when you have to really understand where you bring in other core people to help you grow because you can't do it all yourself. And uh, that's the key component uh, is you got to bring in the team. And that's what we're doing now. Cause uh, you know, my passion is hunting and outdoor stuff. You know, I, I love my day job. I've been doing it for a long time, but I've been doing it long enough that like at some point I'm ready to get out of that and transfer over this. And then like you and I've talked, you know, maybe at some point somebody buys this and then I'm going to go off grid and nobody will hear from me again. I'll just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the conversation was I was going to live in Alaska uh, for part of the year. Then I was going to move down to Central America and hang out with um, backpacker uh, chicks that come through. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that was the conversation. But <laughs> but uh, it's it's funny, like looking back at like the you know the entrepreneurial side journey, and and I think I got turned on to. You know, it was back in like 2015. I feel like that was like a pivotal year for me of like, have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, 
deer prediction and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code East Meets West to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Deciding that I wanted something different with my life. And again, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with, you know, living a traditional life of, of you know, working a job and doing that. I just felt like for me, I wanted, really it came down to, I wanted to hunt more. And I was sick of having X amount of vacation days that I had to use for. And I was like, I need to figure this out. And and between uh, me first reading Cam Haynes's book, um, Backcountry Bow Hunting, that got me into the Western hunting thing, which really changed a lot for me in understanding like what I was capable of or what anybody's capable of doing and being able to plan from the hunting standpoint. But from the business side, I really think it was Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And you and I both have talked about that book. And and you were, you were mentioned on the phone the other night, you said you wanted to reread it. So I started rereading it that night after we got off the phone and, yeah. uh, I'm about halfway through it again and rem- kind of, I, I read it every like two or three years to try to, um, kind of get back on track with some of the things, not everything in the book. I don't necessarily, uh, agree with or follow with, but that book gave me the, the, understanding that there's so much more possible when you think outside the box on things. But what I've learned with in my short time of, well, this business is East meets West has been going for five years now, but you know, wasn't making any money until the last couple of years. And then with me being able to go full time with it here recently is like, there's a lot of stress that comes with owning your own thing. You know, people just see the whole, uh, what's, on Instagram, you know, as far as, Oh, wow. Bo gets to hunt all the time and he gets to do this. And it's like, it's, yeah, I get to do, do some pretty cool trips, but it really sucks when you're trying to figure out how you're going to make money and be able to, uh, to, to actually pay yourself to, to live a life and, you know, and be sustainable with it. Like when I worked a, a job for, you know, a corporate manufacturing company, it's like, okay, I knew every two weeks I was getting a paycheck. And if I wanted to be, you know, I want to be lazy one week. I'm still getting paid. <laughs> That's not the case when you're kind of doing things on your own. And, and, and now there's, you know, design that you can put into it to try to help with, you know, lifestyle design, you know, build into your, to your business. And I think that's where the, the focus is, but I think entrepreneurship is, is awesome, uh, for a lot of people. And I, and I think, I believe that I'm built for it and, and, but there is a lot of stress with it. You and I were talking the other night too about like just the the waves that you go through, and it's just like when you're hunting a mature buck, like you're you're chasing after a um, you know a deer for all season, and you just have to literally you're just putting one foot in front of the other and continuing to go. It's the same way with the ups ups and downs in business. Yeah, you have to. I, I think you know for me uh, personally, 
having experiences like as a bike racer, ultra runner, rock climber, you know, like things that put you in really uncomfortable situations. Like we were talking about that is like, you got to learn that you can make it through it. And, 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 and if you try hard enough, you'll win. And that's the same thing with business. I'm, you know, I remember when I first um, became an entrepreneur, I went on a um, 10 day elk hunt that was out of, you know, backcountry hunt. And those first two nights, I didn't sleep at all because I thought the whole world was going to burn down at home. You know, like all my, you know, I was going to come back to business, failed business. And I still deal with that. You know, when you, when you have to go off grid and you can't be connected, uh, like you think everything's potentially going to fall apart, but you know, that's where bringing in good people helps out because you know that they've got your back when you're gone. And that's one thing that I've realized, you know, from the four hour work week that Tim Ferriss talked about was, and I have to like remind myself is sometimes you can become the log jam in the river and you have to pull yourself out for the river to flow. You know, I think he used a different terminology, but essentially the same thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's, it's the same thing that I've learned with, with East meets West is here recently uh, that I've hired a, a media team to help me uh, capture creative, helping me with some of the editing and some of the flow on that, because I was my own bottleneck, like or log jam in the river of like, I can't put out the the content and information that I want to on at the rate that I want to because it all comes back to me. Everything comes back to me. And if I want to be hunting during the season, I can't you can't do both those things at the exact same time. Now like, you know, now I'd be like I go out hunting and then what people don't see is when I'm up till midnight editing and doing all these things to turn around, wake up in three and a half hours and go back out hunting again. That's just not healthy. And you have to do that for a period of time, but it's like, all right, if I want to to grow with this and continue, I'm going to need some outside help and good people around me to be able to, to be able to do that. And, uh, so that's, I think that's, a that's something that, uh, I'm learning and it's hard to let go of those types of things and, and understand that, you know, that I'm not the the best at all this stuff. And actually I'm more of a hindrance on many aspects of my business than uh, I like to admit. <laughs> yeah. Well, last night, you know, we were all sharing texts about some names or something and everybody, you know, before, you know, before you coming on, like always looked at me to give the final say. So, and I was like, last night I was quit responding. Cause I was like, you know what? I don't need to watch this. I don't really care what a name is at the end of the day. Like there's no reason I, could, I should be sitting here at eight o'clock at night, like thinking about that. Like, you guys got it. I, you know, I don't, I, it's all going to work out. You know, the name doesn't make a damn if the product's worth it, not worth a shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the product's good. You can change the name down the road if you want. Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, let's go back into talking about Timber Ninja and kind of the background with that. And like, why, why did you decide to get into making mobile hunting equipment? Like what, first of all, why did you want to? And second of all, what made you feel like you were qualified to do that? Um, well, I, it never was a business idea. Uh, I essentially made a set of climbing sticks for myself because I was tired of, nobody was making anything that was packable, that was lightweight. Everybody, um, you know, it was kind of just playing off each other in the industry, like for products that came out, they all were pretty, very similar, all heavy and just like maybe a few tweaks here and there, but it was essentially all the same thing. And, you know, I, you know, having a background with carbon fiber from racing bicycles, like I was like, and I knew how strong it was. I was like, why nobody, why is nobody doing this? And I read on the forums that, you know, I, I never was like a ad, ad I, I never was consistent reading for hunting forums, honestly, but I was just looking it up and people were like, oh, this can't be done. This can't be done. And I was like, well, that's one thing that always motivates me is if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it. And, uh, 
so I started, I made, started working and making a set for myself, which ended up working out. And, um, I was like, well, I got a set. And then my friends kept seeing them and like, man, we should, we should get, start a business. And I was like, well, I've got two other businesses right now. I don't really need this help. And that's where Tyler and Jordan came in. And, uh, but you know, we said at that moment, cause like, you know, you sit on the deer stand, like you have all these ideas, like that come up and be like, Oh, I'd make this better. I'd do this and that and that, you know, especially as when you come out with something, you get to hear all those people's, um, opinions on what they think about wine on the deer stand, but they don't make that step into the void of actually doing it. But so I, I, I really, you know, wanted to put my foot forward and, you know, for us to do this. And so, um, that's just kind of how we got going. I mean, you know, cause as you know, most of our hunting styles is backpack on covering a lot of miles and a lot of elevation gain and loss. So you need lightweight stuff, but not necessarily just always lightweight. You need stuff that's quiet. If you're, if you're getting in close to beds, um, you want things that are easy to use, you know, like with our sticks, like, I mean, this sounds like ego, but there's not a stick that can bite a tree like our stick does. And I, I, I haven't used anybody else's sticks in so long until when I was at that Spartan Forge veteran hunt, I didn't plan on hunting. I just came to hang out and, uh, Bill needed me to go out with a hunter one day and he was using a competitor's sticks and it just dawned on me like how inefficient some people's stuff is. Cause like, I'm so used with my sticks. I can put them on the tree and just lock them down without putting the rope and they'll hang, they'll hang themselves so I can put the rope around while well, I was up there hanging these sticks. I had to put my face up on them and all that kind of stuff to kind of work the rope around the tree. And, and it's like, I was like, yeah, this is why, this is why we make what we make. Cause we want to be more efficient. And there's, you know, there's a lot of experience that comes in to understand like what can work and what can't. Um, so yeah, we, you know, obviously with the, 15 years of fall protection background and rock climbing, like the saddles came into the fold last year. And, uh, I like the saddle we, we released last year. It's a great saddle, but it still wasn't as innovative as we wanted. And so that's what, you know, we have with the new saddle and, you know, we've launched, um, at ATA, like our carbon fiber lock on, which is another thing that people said couldn't be done. We've done that. And, you know, we're just going to continue to do that. Uh, like that makes me the happiest. And, I guess we'll talk about this a little bit uh, later, but you were on a call uh, last week with us and talking about some new uh, sticks that we're working on. And after the call, you're like, man, I didn't think climbing sticks could get any more innovative. And, you know, that's just, yeah. that was like one of the, that really satisfied me for you to say that because you have a lot of experience in hunting and also being in the industry, you know, you know what everybody else is making. And to hear that, I was like, yeah. Um, yeah we're not stopping anytime soon <laughs> no i was i was actually blown away like i guess this is where sometimes my my peanut brain of looking at things is like and it helps to like be involved in this stuff it opens my mind i'm like how much different can somebody make a climbing stick other than there's steps there's a pole and you climb up the tree and then after obviously we can't talk about the details of that but it's like okay there's there's still there's still a lot of room here for some serious innovation and and you know and it really comes back to solving problems right it's like what are your problems that you're having and how can you look at at, at making that better and it's that's really cool like when you ask me you're like do you want to be involved in some of this stuff and some of these calls and everything? And I was like, yeah, I do. Like, I want to, I want to learn how this works from the inside and understand how all this stuff's being built. That helps me when I'm like, you know, thinking of ideas or I feel like I can get my, 
my own head of like, oh, this would be nice, but that's not possible. And that's the wrong way of looking at things. You know, you got to throw things out there. I'm learning this from you is like, okay, no, identify what your problems are. And then let's work at how to actually fix that. And, and, and nothing's really impossible. You just, it might take some creative thinking and uh, plenty of time to, to be able to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways. I mean, the more you do things, you're going to think of options, you know, I mean, and there's so many people, like I see a lot of products come out and they're just like the same thing as somebody else's, somebody else has, but they just change the design on it or something, you know, like there's really, you know, nothing that stands out to me that's, you know, like extremely innovative. Right. Um, and that's where like I get into the weeds personally, it's like, well, what's working here and how can we achieve it? I mean, nobody thought the bicycle was going to be far more advanced after carbon fiber first came out. And like now bikes are lighter, even still using carbon fiber, they have electronic shifting, all these things. So like creative minds can make innovative stuff, but you also have to have a creative mind and also the experience of using it, like, uh, and knowing what's needed you know, application based. And that only comes with time. You can't start hunting three years ago, four years ago, or spend like three weekends a year in the woods and understand what people that really hunt hard go through and need to make good products. And, and trust me, like, do I think at the time was our C1 stick, like extremely innovative? Yeah. You know, did it, is it perfect? No. Um, and that's the thing is like, when you create something, you're like, okay, what was wrong here? What I want to fix there. And it's like, and then you get feedback from customer base and uh obviously you, you got to bottle that down because there's so many people that can complain about anything and you have to understand too as a, a business owner or a creator is that you can't be everything for everybody and um but you know and like for us I, I, there's enough people out there that hunt the way we do and think the way we do that i always will have a need for our types of products um but yeah, I mean, innovation's key and continue to push it, man, is, is the way to go. Like, I, I don't ever want to have anybody say that we're just knocking people off or doing me too type products. I mean, I can sit here and say, like, I've seen other sticks come to the market that are similar. And I've seen some that are, I know of some that are coming to the market are essentially kind of just a central variation of what we already have. And uh, uh, so I'm just like, oh, yeah got other stuff coming though like i'm moving beyond this at some point yeah no and, and i think that's what's what's funny about like what's funny what i've learned about you know the companies like years of timber ninja and then like companies like sika that i work with and ones that are working on products well ahead of time so it's like okay you're not you're not just going to release something that you've built and then test real quick in the backyard and then release it just to release it like the amount of time that goes into these products before they go out, even if you, you know, you, the way I would have learned, you know, from you and, and from working with Sika is like, don't worry about what the other people are doing and coming out with something faster. If you look at the long run of the business, like what's going to last longer, what's going to be the safest products, what is going to be the, the most innovative in the long run. And people are going to get their, you know, their dollar amount, you know, their, um, their money's worth, I guess, is how I want to put it. So like when you look at like the, the customer service aspect of it and what that's going to do in the, in the long run. And I think, you know, putting how many hours did you say that like you, you thought went in some of these new saddles as far as like time spent in the tree? Um, you know, over a thousand between the, you know, our team testing them and the field staff people testing them. I mean, we, you know, from a saddle perspective, we have a, a really good 
uh, tester that films professionally and he's, I don't know how many days a year he's gone, but he probably spends more time than treating anybody. Um, I think he logged at least 300 hours in it. So and he knows, you know, like he's sitting on his butt all day. So like, yeah. uh, and you know, the, and the thing is, is, you know, I don't want to pump him up too much, but like, there's a difference in comfort between what's been out there and what, and what we're making now. Like, it's just, even with the light, the nano, it's like, I had a guy comment the other day. It's like, Oh, it's a super niche just for minimalists. I'm like, no, you don't get it. I didn't say this to him because I didn't want to be argumentative, but like it's the lightest, but it's also, in my opinion, from, and people that have sat in it, it's pr- probably easily the most comfortable single panel saddle, but it weighs a pound, you know? Um, so like, you know, that's, a, that's the kind of feedback you want to get. Right. But you know, they don't come free. So no, uh, you know. no. And, and that's before I go, want to go into the specifics of the products. Like I want to talk about more about the, the company and some of the, the things going on. One, one thing to, to also hit is like, Timber Ninja's products are expensive and there's no, there's no way around it. It's a premium brand making products to fix a problem. And it's like, you know, from talking to you and, and understand it's like, yeah, we can, you know, make things that are cheaper, but you're going to get cheaper results. It's like mm-hmm. you're building it for the, the serious hunter that wants, wants a product that's going to perform. And that's, yeah, that's the only, the only way of really saying that. Well, you can also make it cheaper by sending it across the pond too. And that's never going to happen while, you know, while I'm, you know, the head of it, I can tell you that, like, it's just not going to happen. Um, and cause you have a problem with that too. You start importing stuff. You're always going to have a percentage of failure rate over there because you have, I mean, it's, 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 it's no surprise. I mean, it's no secret. You have kids over there sewing saddles and making this stuff. So it's like me turning my, 14 year old kid i mean or hell turning him loose when he was eight years old assembling sticks and just letting his hand tighten and letting him run a sewing machine like you're gonna have um a shrinkage rate coming across when it comes or you're gonna have stuff that just fails i mean i think we've all seen that in the hunting industry from a lot of import companies and uh and i can i mean for the thousands of sticks we've sold we've had see five returns and i think we've had four steps break and that's the thing. You're going to have some failure. I mean, it's just the nature of the business. You, you sell enough of something, you're going to have some failure. But, you know, I look at other things that fail and I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel pretty good about it. And even talking to like insurance companies about what our failure rate is and uh, it was really impressed them too. So like that, that makes you feel good about how you do things. And that comes with the cost. Like if you're going to make it here and you're going to do it right, it's it's going to come with a premium price. I mean, I'm sorry, but um you probably could be a lot more profitable putting money in marketing and importing a couple containers of stuff that looks like everybody else's. Uh, but I, that's, that wouldn't make me happy because creating stuff is really what makes me the happiest. Yeah, no. And I, I think it's cool. Like, you know, even again here with my very limited experience working with you and talking to some of the manufacturers and then being in North Carolina, being in Georgia, being in like, you know, local type environments to, uh, to be able to work with and knowing that everything's made here in the States, in the U S like that's, I think that's, uh, that's, you know, that just stands on, on the point of wanting to, uh, you know, help our own, our own people in our own country. And, and then also being able to, again, control that whole customer service aspect. And, and, you know, you have a background in your other company, which I don't 
know if you mentioned, but like in safety equipment, I mean, that's kind of what you're selling in your, your main business, right? And fall yeah. protection stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in safety all, uh, in PPE sales. Like now I'm in a rep business. I, um, I handle multiple manufacturers of safety equipment and industrial products, but I've been a fall protection specialist, uh, for right at 15 years. So I've been training and consulting, um, for fall protection for a long time and rock climbing. That's why I like, well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped after playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX eight, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid. Like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the GoStix 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. I can have those conversations with manufacturers when we make saddles or we use people. That's another thing. We don't have somebody that's sewing bags, making our saddles. We have a company that, you know, one company that makes them makes fall protection. Another company that makes them, uh, makes climbing harnesses. So like, uh, not going to go like cut around the corner. It's like, I mean, if anybody watched any of the videos of our stress test on our latest saddles, like the dude that was running that machine has been making climbing harnesses for like 30 years he makes stuff for department of defense and he does his own testing in house and like certified and he was telling us that we put too many stitches in it he's like you could back this off and we're like no (laughs) why you know to save a few pennies like this is somebody's life we're talking about you know like i don't want that i don't want our stuff to ever fail to save a few pennies no we're gonna make the best stuff we can yeah. And, and that's, it's funny because that was another thing that you and I connected on and it's like, so my whole background, what I went to school for was safety and I spent, well, I guess nine years as, um, in the, the safety field and, and dealt with all different fall protection and standards and everything that comes along with it. And I think that whole background that you have there, like that, that's, you know, coming back to the marketing aspect of Timber Ninja, that needs to be told more. That's that story because that's that's an important an important thing when you're climbing up into a tree, like having making sure things are going to function correctly, and that you you don't have to question your your life in any sorts. And I'm not saying that any other company's doing anything wrong. I'm just stating the facts specifically on on what you're doing. No, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to. I think I'm not trying to beat up on people, but. 
I can tell you based on conversations I've had with some competitors, they don't understand the standards. Um, and the thing is, in the saddle world, we don't, there's no standard for tree saddles necessarily. Like they're trying to develop that. And there's really nobody to actually govern that like we do in the industrial world. You have OSHA governing that to make sure that you're, you know, compliant. But like the thing is, you know, call, you know, if you're concerned about your safety, call the person you're going to buy stuff from and ask them, you know, what is this tested to, you know? And like for us, like since there's not a standard, we, we developed our, um, our saddles based on OSHA's fall restraint standard. And what that means is everything that comes under load has to withstand a force, you know, 3000 pounds and subject to less than a two foot fall. Right. So that's how we built, built it. Cause saddles are restraint. And that's the thing that we have to understand too. Like saddle hunting, you know, it's kind of, kind of has a stigma. Like it's a group of people sometimes, but really the device we're making is just a restraint that can be used with a tree stand. It can be used with, I mean, with a climber, if you want to, it can be used with a saddle platform. It's just a restraint device to keep you safe and keep you from falling because, sorry, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole, but in fall protection, you have fall restraint, you have fall protection. PPE for fall, fall protection should be your last defense. You should always try to keep your employees restrained from falling, right? And that's essentially what this is. You know, when you go into the fall protection side, you know, you're talking about, you know, 5,000 pound anchors, uh, you know, the shock load that goes in and deceleration and all that, because that's just like impact on the body. And you can't do that with static rope and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of different things that have to go into play there. So yeah, I mean, there's, I could spend days talking about that kind of stuff, but, um, but that's the thing that's important to me and, you know, why I feel comfortable running our, our company, um, and making the stuff that we do. Yeah. And then that, that, that also transitions to talking about like when, when I had first tested, uh, the, the C1 sticks, so looking at the carbon fiber sticks, it's like you hold them and you're like, man, is this going to hold up? Like, it's just, cause they just feel so different than anything. You know, you, your brain's wired to notice something. You're like, you know, this has a carbon tube and plastic steps. Like, how is this, how is this going to be safe? And one, the, the different testing that, that you've done on it is one thing, but also I learned, you know, from you. And then I heard it right from the horse's mouth with a manufacturer of carbon sticks here recently is like what, how strong carbon fiber is, but carbon fiber is made in different, like there's different types of carbon fiber. And I think that that's an important thing to kind of hit on. Yeah. Uh, you know, so Carbon fiber is how, how it entered the market. It's essentially carbon fiber is sheets of woven material. And then you can mix in different types of materials to get to the strength that you want for a finished product. But once you play with, you know, true carbon fiber, it just comes off of rolls and sheets and you have to add epoxy and other processes to make it turn into this extremely strong product that it is. Um, and that's been the longest going technology. And that's what you still see, like, you know, when people are making wings for airplanes, they're making um, wheels for military vehicles, which you heard that conversation uh, when you're making bicycles, right? Bicycles, you know, from an outdoor recreation perspective, are probably the first, I'd say probably the first things maybe besides like hiking pole sticks that utilize carbon fiber over aluminum. And to this day, if you look at a bicycle, it's still woven carbon fiber that's made into tubes, right? 
Um, since then, like there's been injection molding processes and then 3D printing processes where they take and they chop the carbon fiber uh, and then they blend it with other plastics and things like that. The problem that you run into with that and, and you know, I've done my own research on it, but like with the company or, or new company working with, which, you know, you're in that call. Um, I wanted to hear it from their engineer team of like, you know, what we can do, because like you can go the cheaper route. There's a lot more labor and laying up carbon and going through the whole process of like what our, how our tubes are made, how our uh, tree stands made. And, you know, essentially to this point is that's the way we're going to continue to make our products, but understanding what happens. And when you start blending in these materials, the problem that I've heard from, and I've fact checked a few carbon companies because, you know, there was a platform last year that came out or it's, it's never really made it to market, but was shown. And I was like, that's not carbon. And, you know, I talked to some engineers and they're like, no, that's injection mold. Well, it's like baking a cake. If you have like, let's just say there's 5% of chopped carbon in blended with these polymers, you mix it up, you're going to have more in one area than you do the other. Right. Um, and I'm not saying injection molded products are bad at all. I mean, our steps are essential. Well, they're not injection molded. They're actually milled out of one sheet, but, uh, you know, it's the same thing. Um, if you want the true strength, you got to stay with the continuous. If you chop it, you know, you may have this much carbon in this part and not, it's not evenly dispersed, I guess is my way of saying it, but you're able to make a product cheaper for sure to go that route because there's less labor in it. Um, you know, it's still being tested, you know, in the industry um, as far as strength and rigidity. When things that really depend dependent upon strength uh, that are using carbon, you're always going to see a continuous fiber. I mean, it, you heard the engineers say that the other day. Uh, he said essentially continuous fiber is like 60, 70% stronger than chopped or what they called decontinuous. Uh, I think that was a term yep. he uses, decontinuous. Yep. So, you know, uh, I guess... That's, I guess that's all I got there on the, as far as the production side of it. Yeah, no, and that's because, you know, again, as, as I mentioned earlier about Timber Ninja being a premium brand, but that doesn't mean that not trying to look for options to make things, you know, at a more affordable price. So that's why, you know, this conversation was first started and it's like, okay, how, how can we do this? You know, it's like, all right, well, yeah, you can go this other route, but you're going to lose strength, which is like kind of, um, a no-go from the standpoint of you're trusting someone's life standing on something and 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 yeah it's just not it's not the same i guess so not all carbon fiber of seeing it no matter how much something's marketed is the same and that's well just, and beyond that too it's like i've been asked you know why don't you make your standoffs out of carbon well carbon's not made from abrasion perspective to be like locking in. I mean, a good example of that is if anybody ever watch, you know, watches ice climbers, they use carbon fiber ice axes, but they have a metal tip on them. So over time, it will delaminate if you're using, you know, any type of co-injected or, uh, or even laid up carbon for your, your part that's actually gripping into something, it's going to ultimately, you know, degrade longer. And that's why we continue to use aluminum. I mean, even with the new stuff we have planned for next, that you know, launched next year essentially be 2024 hell who knows with me it may be 2025 that we don't get enough field testing in but uh <laughs> you know we're not going to move away from aluminum there when it comes to biting the tree uh it's just it's still the best product and it's obviously it comes with some disadvantages sometimes with weight you know we can't make that six ounce stick that everybody wants um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, yeah. In- including myself, I'd like to wad them up, put them in my pocket, but it's just, it's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely. So let's talk a little bit about, um, some of the the new products, some of the new stuff, and what are some of the changes? And I did bring a couple of the saddles here to be able to show to anybody that's listening or watching the video version that's on YouTube um, to kind of explain it. But also, you can just go to Timber Ninja's YouTube and be able to see the breakdown of some of this new stuff as well. So, but let's, let's kind of kind of explain where, where why you got into the saddles and what and what some of this new the new nanos and the ultimates what the purpose of these are. Um, well, the reason we got into saddles, it was always part of the plan. I mean, we wanted to create the most innovative products for mobile hunters. Uh, and it's really hard to do that with a traditional climbing harness, you know, and I've been using a rock climbing harness as my, um, fall, you know, my restraint device for, you know, probably, well, about 10, I mean, well, using something similar, uh, rather than a cl- uh, traditional fall protection harness for over 10 years. And it was a rock climbing harness. So it was always part of the the goal is to make saddles. Um, and, you know, but, you know, you're kind of restrained as far as your budget goes on making products. And so we released sticks, then we started working on the tree stand. And then we released a saddle last year that, you know, to my knowledge, it's still like the only t- t- padded two panel. Because um, a padded saddle, you know, it cuts off a lot of your pinch points. Um, so it's made for all day comfort. And most of my hunts, uh, you know, I, well, I'd say most, you know, 50% of them I'm sitting all day to some degree. So I wanted the most comfortable product. So we, we released our original black belt last year and, and it did, it, it's done really well for us. Um, it hit all the comfort points, it hit everything we needed, but, and it actually was voted, um, best new saddle of 2022 by outdoor life magazine. But it really didn't get into the level of innovation that, I mean, I guess from my own perspective that I sat with. And so we went out and, you know, looked around and found a manufacturer that could really, that understood technical fibers more than the fall protection company that we use, uh, that makes our current black belt. And, uh, it really hit it off well with this company. And the guy has, he worked for black diamond making climbing harnesses. Uh, he makes high end bags. He's done a lot of stuff and just he, he and I really hit it off. And like, we both are like nerds about stuff. And like, when I would talk about wanting a fabric to do this, he's, he, he'd take me back and show me what it was. And he's like, Oh, I got this. I've used this for this. And it's like, wow, you know, it started getting cool. And then I was like, you know, we started talking about different types of attachment systems that you can use and buckles. And, uh, you know, like we want a better way to climb, up the tree with, you know, with our sticks on the side and, you know, through technology that's out there, we were able to come up with ways to attach your sticks on the side with magnetic hangers, you know, that it's a magnetic strap hanger. It's not, it's not a magnet just holding your stick. It's a strap that holds and keeps it uh, locked in there. So it won't get knocked out, you know, with tree limbs and stuff like that. And, and also, you know, creating uh, a platform hanger because, all saddle hunters and mobile hunters that are trying to get up a tree in one, one go, they all have something carrying their sticks and their, and their saddle platform. And a lot of that, this is not to any discredit or trying to steal market share from people that make 3d printed products, but you buy a saddle and you have to buy a $15 stick hanger and a $15 um, platform hanger. And, you know, and it, they work, don't get me wrong. I've used them, 
but it also it just doesn't look as sexy as like what we've done and like we can bundle that all in and it's like true to our motto we like to make ready to hunt products uh the best we can and so that's what we were trying to achieve with these saddles because we wanted to one have something that was for all day comfort which is our two panel ultimate but we also wanted to make the lightest um single panel saddle which was essentially uh, the inspiration of that came from a um, alpine climbing harness that I have that you could wad up into a little bag and carry it in with you. It was very minimalist, very simple. Uh, so I actually took that and we started working off that to create the Nano. But it, it's not, I mean, the one thing about the alpine climbing harness, it was really good to walk in. It was super lightweight. It was easy when you're climbing, but it was a little nasty when you take a fall because it was so minimalist. Uh, I mean, not it didn't really hurt that bad, but it's not as comfortable as some of the others. But we thought that was going to be what happened with the Nano saddle, but the Nano has really blown my mind as far as like how comfortable it is. Like you, you don't even you don't know it's there when you're walking in, and then when you get in the tree with it, it's just it ends up it's it's got two way stretch material. It stretches more one way than the other. We put them optimal stretch to go uh, horizontally, uh, and also it's durable. I mean, the fabric that we're using there is, um, you know, a lot of people are familiar with like ripstop type material, which is a lightweight, very durable material that's used in um, backpacks. But you know, it, it tends to get loud, especially when it gets cold. It also doesn't have a high puncture resistance, and uh, it is strong. But this product here is has a higher tensile strength for um, tear, but also uh, is more puncture resistant and it's quiet and it's um, extremely water resistant too, which is funny because you can pretty much see through the thing if you hold it up to the light. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that thing, I've really come to love that. And I can, you know, if you're sitting in that thing for eight hours where you start to find some discomfort, yeah, you're going to find that with anything because ultimately, like, you can't even sit in a recliner for eight hours without being uncomfortable, you know? Um, but also like little things we did on these saddles and that one, you know, the nano is we, you know, incorporated a magnetic uh, locking waist belt buckle because I hated like I'd get in the woods and be dark and I'm sitting there trying to figure out, you know, which way I need to turn something to get it to lock. And it's pretty simple. It, it detaches and um, yeah. So like I'm holding it right here. Just yeah. So anyways, again, watching the video version, it just clips right in and there's a little tag in to be able to pull it out and take it off and just clips in really nice and, and strong. And it has the two, the, on the size it has where you can adjust like the length of it or the tightness of your waist belt on both sides. So you're not just cinching down on one side and it's always coming loose. It locks into place really nicely. I, I just thought that was a, a really nice it's a small add-on, but a, a feature that I think is like one of the, again, those little pain points that if you're used to using saddles that anybody's listening will be able to understand. Yeah. I mean, being able to adjust that, you know, if you want it straightforward, like a traditional belt buckle, you know, you can work, but if you also want to like um, adjust it to where your buckles off to the side, you know, cause this is funny, but like there is a thing that if you wear a backpack, like we usually use like a, a frame style pack that has a big waist buckle when you have that buckle plus a saddle buckle plus a your belt buckle you get buckle stack and it, i don't know i've had them pinch like pinch me too man like so you can offset that one if you want um so that makes it a little bit more uh adjustable we also like you know all day comfort you know you sometimes you need to readjust your your rope position at your bridge on your bridge loops and um 
we we have this technology where you use this materials proprietary it's it's our tacky bridge so like it doesn't matter where you put that girth hitch um or the prusik on the other side it does not move once all you gotta do is slot it there and put it it does not move you don't have to you know put it in channels or anything it just it it will not budge um little other features we made our linemen's loops smaller uh and we also angled them up a little bit so they're easier to get to and especially in the dark uh that's a a really feature that is developed for efficiency you just know where to clip in i don't you know in the past people will put them directly behind their bridge loops and like you know if it's dark and you're trying not to use a light you, uh, sometimes i would get get them confused yeah uh, i've done that i mean you're not gonna get you're not in any danger of doing that but it's just ends up you know it's just not where it belongs um we um trying to think what else is on there it's it's just it's built very so it's feature rich but it's efficient and talk about the new pockets a little bit um so it's a different design than i've seen out of any other saddles with having kind of the i mean there's some that's been the zippers and your other ones have zippers on them but they kind of have a, like a rigid uh structure to them um, that go on each side, left and right, that are attached by Molly, and just and they're what highly water resistant and everything. But they just they're still minimalist, but they have a little bit of structure, so it's easy when you're putting something in when it's open to be able to. You're not trying to like you're like oh if I drop this, am I actually inside the bag or <laughs> uh, am I outside yeah. of it? And you're dropping your ropes down to the ground or whatever you're putting inside here. But yeah, I mean. The, the shape we made them was to be more efficient when you're walking through the woods. Like I never did use, um, you know, the traditional saddle dump pouches. They remind me of like what I use for a chalk bag when I'm climbing and they just, they bounce around. Um, they just a little clumsy for me, especially going through laurel thickets or, or briars. I mean, what I used for a number of years when I first started saddle hunting is I took like some of the Kafaru little accessory pouches that zip on the top that are flat and square. And that's what I used. Uh, they were way more efficient. And so the idea kind of come with that, uh, from that idea, but we made them a little bit more of like a teardrop design, uh, to be a little bit more ergonomic, but also like making them where you can have one hand zipper operation. Um, now I will say if you overstuff them, you kind of got to push it like you have to, any zipper, you got to push it together to get the zip. But if you keep them, you know, if you use lightweight, you know, eight mil tether and linemans, like a lot of people do, they're built to hold all that. Plus like, you know, a card reader, um, I can even, I even put my tree snips in there, uh, on top of that. But the one hand operation, there's water resistant material on the outside that could essentially be waterproof, but we don't bound the seams. So to, you, you got a surgeon bind the seams to make them fully waterproof in which I don't think anybody plans on swimming in their uh saddles but they but it, it, the, the main key where you can get leak like um water to penetrate your saddle is through if you don't use a waterproof zipper those zippers are waterproof so if you think about it if you're in a tree and you're trying to sit out a rainstorm not that we really have anything that we don't mind gets wet in our saddlebags but i mean i guess if you have milkweed or something in there that can happen you know if it's in a pouch but uh you know, if, it, if you're taking rain from the top, like there's, you shouldn't have any water get into your saddle bags. 
Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And, and so what, all right, looking at that, what, if you were a consumer and you're looking at it, we haven't talked about the ultimate yet, but like, where does the nano fit into your, like, what, what, what's that built for? What type of person? In my opinion, it's built for the person that wants to put on their stuff and walk from the truck and get there and not ever have to take anything off. It's, it's like a guy that he's being minimalist, minimalist as possible. He wants to walk to the tree, you know, where he's scent conscious, doesn't want to drop stuff at the bottom, but just gets in there, gets in fast and, you know, wears something that's easy to walk in. Like I've walked, you know, multiple miles wearing that thing just for testing. I mean, uh, late season, like I, I got to take stuff off anyway to put layers on the tree. So like most time my stuff ends up in my pack, but, uh, you know, like the person that really wants to get to the tree and just start running up the tree, like that's what that saddle is designed for. Yeah. And I, like for me, like how I see it fitting is like, I typically pack my saddle in, like I've always done that because of having other layers to throw on. And, and, mm-hmm. and also it's just like until suspenders came out or I started using suspenders, suspenders have always been out, but I never really hooked them on is like, they'd always fall down and you'd have that kind of problem with it. But so I've always just packed it. But where I see this is like, all right, early season, you're wearing the pants that, you know, it's 60 degrees or whatever. And you're Mm -hmm. not needing to layer up once you get to the tree, besides maybe throwing a a windproof jacket on top or whatever. Once you get there, you can run and gun, kind of go in lightweight pack and, and move your way in, which kind of like, I, I think it's, yeah, built, at least for me, I look at it for that type of hunter, like you said, that just wants to wear it in and go. And it's such a small minimalist design that it's not, you know, impeding on anything else. It's not heavy, so it's not sagging. And if it if you do have that problems and you have the, the uni system that clips in, which we'll talk about, but like to be able to hold it up, but just everything's built kind of into one, one piece there. Yeah, I mean, it also, I mean, you said something that, it makes a lot of sense, especially for me or for us that hunt in the mountains that ha- are packing in all of our heavy layers. Pack space is important, right? <laughs> and yeah. like, I mean, I, the ultimate is the ultimate two panel we have is definitely more compact than our regular black belt or really probably any other uh, two panel out there, but it still takes up some pack space and there's no getting around that you can wad that nano up and stick it, you know, in a bag, the size of a Nalgene and just put it in your pack, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it, you can save space there. So I do it. Cause I mean, let's think about it. Like when it gets really cold, most people aren't hunting all day anyway. I'm sorry. Like uh, when it gets, when you really packing those heavy layers in, like you're, you're only going to be out there three, four hours that you can handle it. Um, so it, 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 it really serves that purpose. Well, I mean, I, but especially for the early season, man, like I probably will see myself wearing it a lot more than I did this year, honestly, just after I saw how comfortable it really is. Um, but I don't know. I do like the ultimate cause I know it's comfortable for all day. Um, because a two panel where you get the benefit is when you get really tired, you want to take a nap, you just drop that bottom panel up under your hamstrings and pull that top panel up around your lumbar and just, you're not going anywhere. It's just up there yeah. rocking. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and I want to, before, before we go to that saddle, which I think will probably fit into you know, nine, the 90% categories when I would you know need a saddle as the ultimate, but like, or when I'm using a saddle, but where I also see the nano is for Western hunters. So mm-hmm. for example, like when I was on this Montana elk hunt last year, it'd been so nice to, to be able to like, if I would have 
took my whitetail brain and hunted elk and sat in one spot, there's no doubt unless something happened with the wind that I would have had an opportunity. Like there was mm-hmm. patterns you see after 21 days of what these elk were doing. And it's like, but I didn't want to carry, you know, that back in where you could strip that nano down, even take the side pouches off and just have the ropes in your backpack. And then once you get to a spot, put them in your side pouches, of your pants and yeah. go up. And, you know, that thing rolls down even smaller than an analogy at that point, you know, yeah. you know, a pound and it doesn't take up any pack space. You can, you know, take that with you and either climb tree branches or take, you know, a few sticks in, uh, with you to be able to do that. And, and I, I just think that's a, a really efficient tactic, especially early season hunting wallows and everything for, for elk, uh, and I, or yeah, anything like that, that you could hunt from an elevated position. Yeah. There is a, a, a trend of people starting to hunt more elevated out West, like, um, especially like there's a lot of mule deer hunters, um, and coos deer hunters that are hunting that way. Actually, it's funny you say that I had a dude message me the other day, like won't make it the nano right now for a, a trip to Arizona. And I was like, <laughs> man, it's just not ready. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of options, you know, you just got to think outside the box in your hunting style. I mean, for me, when I go out West though, I just, I don't want to, I want to sit. Uh, that's the same. I, that's I, the I same thing that I talked about with Justin on our elk hunt. I was like, man, I just can't get my mindset right to try to sit in a tree because I do it so much whitetail hunting. I come out here to not do that, and that's yeah. that's probably to my detriment as far as success goes. But it, it's it's just kind of what I want to do. But there are a lot of people that do that. And there's actually a lot of people I've had them on the podcast that hunt whitetails in the mountains out West that are just like not familiar with saddle hunting in general. And I'm like, dude, yeah. you're lugging a tree stand back in there. Like, or like, yeah. you know, it's, it's just like, it's, it's crazy to me. Well, now with the, the carbon fiber tree stand, that'll be a, a little bit different. A little bit better. The, yeah the the weight there but let's uh let's transition to the the ultimate there so i'm going to pick that up and the so i've never used a two panel design in my life before and that's mm-hmm. why um i was curious about it and playing with it just out in the yard and i i have not put this thing through the ringer so i don't really have a lot to be able to say on that right now but having that two panel and being able to adjust it and drop it down with one hand, putting under your legs, man, I'm a napper on all day sits. There's, there's not a, uh, if you want to say that you're staying up and you're alert the entire time, I'm, I'm going to call you out uh, yeah. throughout the, throughout the entire day. And like, for me, I, the, the way I, I learned this also from hunting with Jim hole up in Alberta. And he's like, that's the reason why he doesn't do all day sits is because you want to be alert and effective, you know, cause if you're, if you're just like zoning out or you're on your phone or doing whatever, like that, you, you might as well not even be in a tree sometimes because you miss opportunities. So for me, it's like taking a little, you know, 15 minute nap here and there throughout the day, a couple times a day, like that helps me, you know, stay alert when I need to. And I think this two panel design, uh, really help with that, with having the padding built in and then being able to adjust it from, you know, your, upper back to your lower back to your bottom one being below your legs and sitting down. I, I spent a lot of time sitting down in my saddle where I'd loosen up, um, my tether and I just put my knees and my knee pads against the tree and just kind of sit there. And I think that's where this can help out quite a bit. Oh yeah. I mean the two panel, that's why it's called the ultimate. It is the ultimate saddle. I mean, there's no way around it. Like it's got, you know, there's a lot of innovation that went into it. Like I'm not gonna give too many specifics on what we did on both these saddles as far as webbing and stuff like that, but it's different than what other people did. Um, 
and but like just the materials of it like it's this thing it's it's got the foam in it but it, also as you wear it it starts to mold to your body as well and it gets more comfortable the more you wear it uh, but you know it's a two panel design that has the ability to one hand adjust each side from the back you know if you don't want to drop it all the way down because the problem is if you if you if your two panel sandal doesn't have a way of connecting when you go to stand up that bottom panel will drop drop around to your <clears throat> behind your knees and i don't know about everybody else but like i try to stand as much to, as i can to take a shot rather than trying to just sit and lean um but you can adjust it uh a lot you can adjust it to your body however you want i i actually use that thing majority of the time as a one panel i cinch it up real tight and just set it as a you know essentially as a one panel and it's extremely comfortable from that aspect um <clears throat> you know comfort's one thing about it uh but the other things that went into that saddle that's never been done before is we have our our mud flap stick hauler on the back so it's a, a flap on the back it has tacky material that you can put you know I recommend lightweight sticks. Like it doesn't have to be ours. It can be anybody else's, but uh, you can put four sticks back there or you can put one stick or you can do a one stick platform behind you and it, you can carry it horizontally across the back when you're walking in with the saddle. And it, once you play with it a little bit, it's real easy to reach back there because we made the loops and, and the G hooks big enough to where you can um, easily find the holes. And it's, I mean, just with a little bit of minimal practice, you can never take your saddle off and have your sticks behind you, carry them in, have, you know, one kit that's ready to go. Uh, the waist belt holds really well. So even with those four sticks, you can wear it like that if you want and just kind of carry your um, platform. But just like our Nano, after you take those sticks off and you hang, you know, one from each side on your magnetic uh, stick attachments to get ready to go up the tree, you can also clip in your um, your saddle platform to our magnetic platform hanger on the back. But besides being a two panel and padded, all the you know primary features are built into both saddles. You know, again, the magnetic stick attachments, the um, platform attachment. You know, it's all the same. Uh, the one thing that you do get on the um, that you can purchase as an accessory on the two panel on the ultimate is you can get a, a third pouch it's a lumbar pouch so you can get a little bit more gear on you so really you can use that thing in an early season scenario where you don't even need um you really don't you wouldn't even have to have a um backpack you know if it's early season you're not carrying a lot of stuff but yeah no that uh, see i was gonna ask you what what you put in that back pouch because i've never used something like that is that just like any additional things that you want to take it, into the any the additional trivia? stuff i mean you can put like a a lightweight um like um rain jacket you know like a packable rain jacket will, will fit in there pretty easy i've put like i've put base layer pants in it um you know just little things that i may have to throw on or just any other little accessories i mean you can put your grunt tubes um you know you can put your range finder back there if you want i mean there's a lot of different things you can do with it uh it's just it's it's custom i mean and all of our bags you know can be removed so if you're a person that doesn't i mean like i know a few guys that don't use any pouches or bags uh 
they just carry their backpack and stow their ropes in there when they're, you know, like their linemen's in that when they're hunting. And they just don't like having a pouch on the side because of string contact or, you know, things like that. I prefer to have them. I like my stuff being on the sides, but, uh, yeah, you can customize it the way you want. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, the other thing I see with that too, is like, you can even put, you know, on last week's podcast, I just talked with Clint Campbell about like binos and like struggling with not wanting to carry a big bino pack or bino bivy in. Um, and, you know, when you're going in the dark, you don't really need them on your body anyways. You were using a small compact pair like my Maven B3s. That, that they fit, I actually tested it before, they fit right in that pouch. And you can have your binos there so you don't forget them. Once you get set up in the tree, you can grab them and either toss them on or hang it from your gear hook. Like there's... I've actually been been uh, utilizing a method where I'm not even wearing my binos on me unless I'm using a min- minimal harness where I'll just attach it to the tree where I can pull them out pretty simply. I mean, most of the places I'm hunting, similar to yours, you can't really, you don't need them all the time because it's pretty thick stuff that you're yeah. hunting. So it's uh, it's not like you need, you need uh, you know, extremely quick access to them. Yeah, I've, you know, I'm just very cognizant of where that pa- bino harness is like especially shooting a traditional bow where i I get real tight to my body with the string i'm you know it rarely has i don't think it's ever actually hit it but it's always in the back of my mind that it can hit so i i I did away with it i use eight by 32s for whitetails anyway uh and i went away from any type of harness and i actually just took like a i just use a, a, a section of paracord that's just really just enough of a loop almost it stays tight and i can just hang it you know, on like a gear hanger or something and just use them when I, cause like the only time I ever pick them up is like, if I maybe see a deer, you know, and I just want to see what his headgear looks out, looks like from a way, way off. Or if you see one crossing or something like that, I, I'm not sitting there scanning with my binos in the woods. Yeah. Yep. That's, a, that's the same, same way with me there. But, um, and then the other thing I wanted to touch on was the uni system, the uni pack system. I don't think there's, that would, came up with a name for the pack yet but uh the, the yeah. uni uh, harness system and kind of how that that all plays into it yeah uni stands for universal so uh, both of our new saddles come with loops um to be able to connect uh a shoulder strap system onto both of these saddles and how we oriented that was not like in a suspender style it's more like a backpack so that the, the straps cut under your arms and that helps transition the load uh, and we call it universal because the shoulder pad strap system uh, has the ability to add a backpack that connect, connects magnetically to each strap. So the whole idea behind that was, you know, like we were talking about, you can have this one complete system and it's a 1500 um, capacity bag. It's a roll top. It's very minimalist. You can carry sticks on it. You can carry a platform on it. But the, the beauty of it is that you can like clip it on at the truck um and then walk in you know essentially unclip to the tree to get your platform or if you if if you chose to carry your sticks on there get that all off of it clip it back on get your stuff you know clip your um platform onto your saddle and your two sticks on the side and start running up get to the top pop that bag off and hang it you know hang it and be ready to go um it's also the shoulder strap system is going to work with some other stuff that we're working on so that you can essentially have a year round system for, you know, for the outdoor adventure is what the whole concept is behind this stuff. Yeah. And, and the one thing that where I, you know, I was trying to 
to figure out, like looking at myself, like where does this, this system fit in? And like, again, going back to the early season component where you're not carrying a lot of layers, you just need that small roll top bag. You got the other pockets on your saddle to have any, you know, extra gear that you need and you go in and you can take that pack off, you know, just unclipping it from the magnetic again, go over to the YouTube channel to watch how this all operates. I'm not going to show you here on the podcast, but be able to take that off, hang it on the tree and then you can get your extra layer on if you need and just toss it over top of it and it's not it, it doesn't interrupt with anything you don't have to take anything off it's just uh just a very uh well thought out system um, i'm excited to to get to play with that this year and and mess around with it but it's again it's very minimalist it's uh the pack design and everything it's very simple it's not fully featured or anything like to to have any extras there it's meant to be small lightweight and carry your shit yeah i mean it's everything you need nothing you don't so i look at it uh, i mean from all my outdoor adventures over the last i don't know how many years like I love packs. That's like one of the things I love the most. And this thing has like been so many years in the making. And it's also going to be offered as a standalone pack with shoulder straps and waist belt. Like, you know, uh, I'm, I have, we haven't made it into that yet, but I'm like anxiously waiting on that thing. Cause like, I could see that as my travel pack and my hunting pack, whatever. Cause like, there's a lot more features that are going to go into that pack, you know, like with the removable lid that we're putting on it, that we, it's not in a YouTube video, but it's essentially a removable lid or brain, whatever you want to call it, that you can put on or off. And then you can also take it off and use it as a, a fanny pack. Say if you're, you know, out on a spot and stock hunt and you need to drop some stuff and just, t- you know, carry your kill kit with you or, or whatever, if you're at, you know, you're on a, how many times have you been on a, uh, out of state, you know, public land whitetail trip and you want to go do a quick scouting mission you know from the truck but you just want to carry a few things with you and you don't want to put your pack on for that so you just pop that little fanny off and run with it uh so yeah a lot of thoughts went into the packs and all this stuff and i know it's probably not gonna be for everybody but there's some nerds out there like us yeah yeah, no, and I think it's it's very purpose it's very purpose driven and the reasoning behind it and and uh, I, I think the whole thing kind of building out this system of how it all works together is is pretty neat and then that kind of like that kind of transitions to the last couple products is like the carbon fiber tree stand that's something that you've teased about for since you started for three years but it's just why why is it taking so long to come to market and what tell me a little bit about, about that uh i mean the reason it's taken a time is because you really wanted i really wanted to test it and i just kept making a little tweaks here and there um also like we had so much going on like you know our stick cells you know really blew up over the last few years and like i said earlier it's not a full-time job so being able to manage that and trying to manage customers expectations as far as delivery we really didn't want to throw something else in the hopper just yet i mean we were slow last year and even releasing the uh saddle but uh i mean the main thing is i wanted to get another year of hunting in it we made a few changes to it you know we went away from using cables for uh for keeping you know for attaching the platform to the post we use um uh, some am steel dog bones because a they're lighter they're essentially stronger and also like one of the problems you, you know for people that use um lock-on tree stands when you use those cables like 
if you wear rubber boots or any boots, it squeaks when you hit that cable. You don't get that with the M steel. Uh, that's really the main thing. I mean, it's it's lightweight, um, but pe- you know, people pick it up, they're like their minds are blown, and then people are like, "Well, it's not as light as you know the point five. and I'm like, "Well, but it's 29 inch platform. <laughs> you know, it's not a super small stand. It's 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 a stand that was built. I mean, trust me, I would have if it if I would have went the way uh, have in the past, I would have built it just for myself, and I would have built it very minimalist. But like, that's not the biggest part of the market, right? So we built this stand to accommodate people that like a bigger uh, platform. It has a 20 inch seat height, you know, so you're, if you're a taller guy, your knees aren't up in your face. Um, it's carbon. So it's going to be quiet. It's going to be warmer. Like it doesn't get as cold when you're standing on it. And I can say this from experience because I guess I'm the only person that's actually hunted off of a carbon platform, but I also have aluminum saddle platform that we make or it's not launched yet but there is a difference between standing on cold aluminum versus that carbon fiber i mean what's your feet getting cold it's it's completely noticeable i mean it's not a sales pitch it's it's the truth um but you know like the stand weighs you know roughly around six and a half pounds it's a um a longer platform it's wider than you know like a lot of your micro stands that are out now and um you know it's functional it's strong um, it, it, uh, it's a great product. I mean, but it's not going to be from everyone, you know, cause it's, it's not cheap, you know, and it's made here and it's not cheap. So, you know, it's going to be a, a premium product for sure. But I mean, I, I like made that thing because I wanted it. And, and it was one of those <laughs> things, like, I didn't care how many we sold. I knew, I, I know it's going to be what it is, but like, it's just one of those things. A, somebody said it couldn't be done. And B is like, I just wanted it for myself. So um, about $30,000 invested in, I got my stand and you were talking about leaving <laughs> stuff in the woods. Like I left that thing with all my, with my sticks out in the set for like four days. And Jordan was like, I cannot believe you left that stand in the woods. <laughs> He's like, you left a $30,000 tree stand sitting up in a tree. I was like, yeah, I know it was a bad choice, but. Hey, just for everyone listening, that's not what they're going to cost. That's just the the no. whole price of the innovation. Yeah, and the yeah, and testing and <laughs> yeah, no, you know, it's it's what it costs. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it is going to be over a thousand dollars for sure. Um, yeah. but you know, it's I, I think it's worth it. I mean, I would I would buy it. I mean, but I also buy stuff that I know is going to last me. Yeah. No, definitely. And then what about the carbon saddle platform? Is that something that's going to be coming this year or is that still, what's the state of that? No, the carbon uh, platform is not going to be this year. That'll be next year. Uh, we're working on that with uh, currently. I mean, it's it's part of the discussions. Um, I mean, we've got the model that we want to go with, but like it's just getting other stuff out and getting the stand out and then we'll get some um prototypes going and tested all through the year uh but that would be a 2024 product for sure okay but it is i mean well yeah you were on the call it's like it's it's on it's on the agenda um but i don't think we'll release it this year i'm gonna wait until next year you never know it may surprise around show up around black friday or christmas um (laughs) i think we have enough people that uh, hunt it and uh get a really good field test on it to see how it works. And obviously, you know, with the new carbon company that we're working with, like they just have so much internal um, 
software for doing stress tests and things that we can really, we can get a lot of things from a um, structural strength perspective, put out of the, you know, out of the way without having to make a prototype, take it and have it tested. And Oh, it failed, you know, and then go back to the drawing board. Like we can pretty much dial everything in and have a prototype that's functional and ready to go from a strength perspective. You just may want to make some little minor tweaks as far as, features and benefits and things like that. Yeah. And then, then you'd, you'd uh, mentioned a little bit about the aluminum uh, saddle platform. And is that something that is going to be come out this year? Yeah. Yeah. That will be coming out. That'll be out before hunting season is the plan. Okay. Re- ready to buy, not just release. We'll have it ready to roll. Yeah. And, and then, a couple other things. Yeah. I was going to say the, the other thing that do you, were you going to talk about the saddle platform? Or are you going to go to a different product? Uh, no, and I, I probably won't say anything else about the other stuff. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Well, the one thing that's actually going should be might even be live by the time this goes out is the camera arm, the carbon fiber camera arm that I think we came up with the name, the Nomad. I think that's yeah. what that's going to be called. And um, that's something that I tested all of last season and used the entire year. Weighs 1.7 or 1.8 pounds uh, and still has, you know, three parts to it. it can, it's long enough to go around every tree. Super quiet. I think that's the biggest benefit of that camera arm from my perspective is I hated self-filming in the past. I hated the bulk of all the other camera arms out there. Now, there are some smaller lightweight ones that I have not tried, and I'm not going to say that I've, I've tried all of them. But this one holds, you know, you can hold a 10-pound camera on it at full extension and it'd be able to work and it's quiet to set up. There's no ratchet straps. There's carbon fiber. If anyone's ever messed around with like the C1 climbing sticks or anything else, carbon fiber, if you do bang them together, it sounds like a a soft uh, rattling sequence versus uh, versus metal clanging together. It's more of a natural sound. And uh, I use that on all of my hunts. And it was the first time I actually self-filmed for an entire season because I didn't mind setting up the camera arm. Yeah. I mean, the design of that was also, it folds flat so you can slot it in your bag and you're not like having like a standoff getting caught on stuff. And it does have a standoff so you can twist it. And so you can level it. Um, let's see what horizontally dual dual leveling yes um yeah it it, we've been working on that thing for i think three years and actually the professional film guy we were talking about earlier he's he's used it for two years and helped us really tweak it up and and i think got a lot of use under him and uh yeah and this will be one of the first products that we've ever released that we actually have stock on (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and they've been sitting here for, I mean, we've had stock since late November. It's just, we were going through a website change and some other stuff and just haven't like put it up, but we'll have that out this week and ready to roll. But a lot of people are excited about it. I mean, I know you showed it to a lot of people that got psyched on it and, you know, a lot of dudes that are in the, that are actually filming for other people. Like, um, I, you know, a lot of your high-end film guys, professional film guys, lot of them have went to using you know handhelds you know because like the stabilization is so good in these high-end cameras but they're using uh you know like a numb i I don't know all the terminology but they're using their other camera as a secondary angle you know not just a gopro they have another professional camera and uh you know i know people have tested have been using that and then holding their big professional one in one hand and using the other one for a second angle so 
you know, we're getting a lot of inquiries from people that do, do it for a living, but also it, it was intentionally made for your mobile owner. That's what it was. I mean, yeah. in my opinion, in my opinion, and like, I'm not trying to not sell our stuff, but if you want professional quality camera arm, go buy a fourth arrow, but it's a little bit heavier, a uh, little bit, a uh, few more moving parts to put on the tree. So like for the minimalist mobile, mobile hunter, like that's what we built this product for. Yeah. Yep. No, most definitely for me, it worked out just fine. Me putting my Sony AX 53 on it or my DSLR like or my, I guess my mirrorless, but putting, putting those on there, it worked just fine. It was awesome. Simple to use. The biggest thing was I needed to upgrade my fluid head, which I just bought a different one because it, you know, camera arms for anybody that's never bought one before, they don't come with fluid heads unless it's a, uh, um, kind of a, a cheaper option. And, uh, they, they typically suck. So like as far as being able to make the, the fluid move there. So I had bought a, 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 a different one to be able to, to put on it from my old, I think I had a Hawk one that I had from an old camera uh-huh. arm that I had tossed on it. And it was just like, that was the, the weak point in the whole system. But the camera arm itself is, is pretty sweet and worked at different angles on the tree. I was able to get things leveled. Yeah. Super impressed with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's three parts. So it, it break, you know, it, it pivots in three different areas. So, uh, yeah, as a saddle hunter, you know, or somebody hunting tight to a tree, you can really get it around that tree and get angles. Like I used it. I've filmed one hunt in my whole life. I I took it with me to, uh, Iowa in 2021 and used it and actually got footage of that deer and other deer, but we've never edited it. But Jordan, my business partner has been filming since he was in high school. He just never put anything on the tube. So like he has a lot more experience filming and, had a lot of ideas for this and obviously having the professional film folks helping us has really helped a lot. So yeah, we're not, we're not trying to be the best in the camera arm business, but we're just trying to make the best stuff we can for mobile hunters. And this is a good product, I think. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, nothing like uh, this is this is again why Jason's bad at marketing. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, and then I know this this for anybody listening. Uh, this podcast is different than you know. Typically, I don't go through run through products and everything, but it's kind of an introduction to the company and wanted to to kind of explain some of this stuff and the innovation that's that goes into it and get Jason's kind of mind wandering and, and understand what's inside his head because it's uh the more I get to know him the more I see just like the fire of trying to build the the best innovative products out there and I just think it's it's really cool I'm excited to be a part of the company and hope that uh some of you listening want to want to trust us with uh you know trying some of this stuff out and like I said it's built built in the mountains by hunters and uh that's uh that's that's a big thing for me yeah yeah we appreciate it man we're stoked to have you on the team and i think we'll do some great things uh i'm ready to see somebody that does really well with marketing (laughs) (laughs) don't put too much pressure on it but uh, yeah yeah at least the reels will be better yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, J- Jason said the other day, uh, after a phone call that we had, he's like, I'm, uh, I'm concerned about posting this reel because you made me feel self-conscious. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that wasn't the goal, but <laughs> yeah, no, truthfully, it's work though. So, um, you know, do what we can. Yeah. So definitely anybody, is there anything else you wanted to add to, to any of this conversation here? Jason? I don't think so. I think we, you know, touched, um, pretty much everything. I mean, the, 
we've been getting a ton of questions about when the saddles are going live. We finished pricing up. Uh, it's finished. Uh, so we'll be getting those loaded on the website for pre-order and we'll be building stock this year. They're ready to start rolling because um, we got a lot of interest on these saddles. It's pretty humbling as much as interest we've gotten. Uh, and so we'll be cranking those out as fast as we can. Oh so, yeah. That's, that's, that was actually the last thing I wanted to ask you was like timeline on some of these products and when people can expect to, to see more about them. Yeah. The saddles uh, be going live and um, you know, our traditional black belt will be there too. We're actually dropping the price a little bit on it. Well, we were able to uh, cut some labor costs on manufacturing. So we're going to have, you know, cause we make carbon stuff, but we also make aluminum sticks and we never put enough emphasis on that. Like our goal has always been to have the great stuff, you know, like the most innovative high performance, like your Lamborghini, but then we want to build Toyotas below that. So like you still get a lot of the same features that bleed into them, but they're not like carbon They're aluminum sticks, they're, they're aluminum platform. It's a, um, you know, a different, a, a saddle that has, it functions really well, but it's not as clean and you know fancy looking as like you know the higher end stuff so we'll be um having all that stuff ready to go this year we're gonna do a way better job with inventory this year that's another goal besides marketing was doing a better job with inventory so yeah and then for anyone that's listening like if you've ever been like frustrated with small companies on like stock and why are they always sold out it's like that's a difficult thing to manage and the costs that go into trying to figure out what people are going to buy. So you don't like, you're not stuck with a whole bunch of inventory and understanding that is like, that's a, it's a complex thing. Yeah. I mean, we're a debt-free company. I mean, so like, yeah, would it help us out to take a big loan and for inventory? Yeah, that'd help. And, you know, maybe we need to look at that at some time. I mean, but we're just, we, take our money that we make and we put it back into the company. I mean, we haven't taken a paycheck yet from it. So, uh, you know, we just dump it all in. And that is, as you grow as a small company, you are able to put more back into it, you know? So, um, it takes time, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, no, but I think, uh, I, I think this year will be, you know, people will see a little bit of a different experience as far as that. Now, not, that's not saying that things aren't going to sell out cause I'm sure that they will. But uh, yeah. from the standpoint of, um, you know, doing a better job and having that inventory ready and good to go. And I know just, again, from being a little bit on the inside of seeing some of the things that you're doing to try to, you know, right now you guys are hand, you know, you know, at the shop, putting together the sticks and, yeah. and drilling the holes and doing all of that stuff. Like that's, that takes, takes a lot of work that, that goes into it. So, well, yeah. And even as a small business, you learn you know, you, you, you may partner with a certain set of partners as, you know, secondary vendors, you know, that make some stuff for you. You find over time if they're a good fit for you or not as well. Like, and, you, and they also don't understand how big your business may be. You know, they take you in the beginning thinking, oh, this is going to be this, but then you ex- explode and they can't handle you. And so you got to go find other partners. So that's been a big part of this um, past year is finding better partners, which I think we've done a good job of that to, to, be able to, because we do have enough volume now that we can be more of a priority for certain companies. And so that's key to us because it's, it's not just about making money. We want to build relationships with the people that we work with and have good, solid relationships. And because um, like I said earlier, it's like, it's like a family or a romantic relationship. There's going to be good times and bad times. Yeah. 
Yeah, most definitely. Well, I'm I'm excited to uh, to jump on the roller coaster and and uh, see how see how everything goes moving forward and build some products for all you guys listening that are you know that live and hunt in the big woods and hunt in the mountains and hunting public ground or wherever. It doesn't. It's not just associated with that but the way that that i've looked at it is if you build products specifically for some of those worst case type of scenarios they tend to work in other situations as well oh for sure yeah man um oh one thing we didn't mention for anybody that didn't get into bo's mountain hunting workshop we're doing a mountain hunting workshop in the southern appalachians uh march 24th through the 26th here in outside of Asheville, North Carolina, Western North Carolina mountains. So, yeah, I forget. I, I, I had that on the list to bring up and then that, that's, that's a good point. So I, unfortunately I won't be able to make it, but what they got is a, is a very stacked team full of people, um, with yourself, Jason, the stick boys, Nathan Killen, Alan Altizer, who else is all involved in that? Uh, I believe Bill's coming down from Spartan Forge. Uh, and I think Johnny may come down as well if he can make yeah. it. Oh, nice. Yeah, it'll, it'll be pretty cool. How can people find out information on that? We'll be doing uh, on social right now, but then when tickets are ready to go for sale, they'll be on our website, which we okay. ch- we're planning on getting those, the, all that out there before the end of uh, February for sure so people can plan. But yeah, I, I, so it's going to be a limited group. I mean, we're only taking 20 people. And it's going to be two nights uh, we'll, and uh, arriving on Friday, two days of field work, a lot of giveaways, a lot of discounts, good time, some food, camping, fellowship, learn mountain buck tactics, uh, classroom for half the day and field work for half the day. So really hands-on. I mean, if you're a newbie or if you're somebody really, you know, like I've heard you say about your workshops and I, I know for sure this will happen to me. Like I, I spend a lot of time in the woods, but I always learn. I mean, unfortunately I get yeah. to run around with some heavy hitters that uh, yeah, I can look under, you know, like Nathan, you know, he's, he's in one of my opinion, one of the best, but uh, you know, yeah. you get to spend some good time. I mean, with good people too, like all these people that are part of our crew, there's no assholes. Like, well, I'm an asshole, but like, yeah, you I was going to say, <laughs> look in the mirror, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it'd be good folks but uh yeah it'd be a good yeah. time no that's that's cool i'm glad you guys are doing that and and excited to see more of these types of things like it's for me i've just after doing that one last year i've said it like it's i had so much fun getting to hang out with everybody and do it like i'm excited to do more i'm excited that you guys are are doing a workshop and and being able to to you know put, put all that stuff together and see, I think it's super cool. And I will say like, you know, when the tickets would go live for this one, um, on timber ninja outdoors.com also sign up for the email newsletter there. There'll be more information going out mm-hmm. through that newsletter, uh, to follow on social media, timber ninja outdoors, YouTube, all of the, the things there I'll do the, I'll do the, the marketing pitch that's what I was for just, you. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll do that like, for you. <laughs> Since I was like, I'll look at you doing your job helping out on that front. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of stuff in this episode here. So I appreciate anybody that's still hanging around with us and listening uh, till the end here. But um, wanted to get this out and uh, be able to kind of explain uh, the process there. I think anybody that knows has known me long enough or followed along with my stuff. That's like, yes, do I make a living from 
you know, sponsorships and partnerships and all these different things. Yes, I do. But like, I think from the decisions that I've made over the years, it's pretty obvious that, you know, I work with the companies that I want to, and that's been my focus is, is working with companies and trying to be a part, bigger part of it rather than just a monkey that, that, uh, shows off product and, you know, has the the stamp of a quote unquote influencer. That's not what I want to be. I want to be an actual working part of helping these companies with products and, and, and building stuff. So anyways, I, I concur. Yeah. That's otherwise you probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have talked with me. No. I mean, you know, my opinion on influencers. So. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, no, I'm very aware of that. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, thank you so much for coming on, Jason. Yeah. I, thank you. I re- really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, uh, everyone, um, love to hear feedback, check everything out, follow along on all the channels that I said, just search Timber Ninja Outdoors. You'll find all of that stuff. And as always, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.